This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. From hockey to wrestling, football to golf, no sport left unturned. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. Neil, the boys are back. Let's talk sports. Good morning and welcome to the Nazawali Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto. Uh, I'm your host, Walter Rigabon. As uh, I was about to say, as usual with me in studio is my co-host, Naz Marchese. Although uh, Naz is with us this morning, but he's not with me in studio. He's down in Alabama and we've got him on the line. We'll be talking to him very, very shortly. And uh, Subbing in this week, uh, of course, uh, former Toronto Maple Leaf, uh, Washington Capital. I always throw a Toronto, former Toronto Maple Leaf first, Washington Capital and Buffalo Sabre. Wearing his, Naz, I know you're there, wearing his Alabama t-shirt this morning. Just uh, thought he was going to come in and rub it in. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. Good morning, Lou. I have my Alabama uh, jersey on, too. So I, I ain't getting tired of you guys, you know I mean? <laughs> I mean, it, it's just it's a, it's it's not a fair fight. It's you know, U.S. college football is just not a fair fight. Alabama is just they're just at a totally different level than the rest of the college programs. And you know, you got to give Alabama a lot of credit, uh, no question. They certainly have been dominating college football in the United States for the last, I'd say, probably seven, eight years, probably ten years. Uh, but Naz, you're down in uh, is it Birmingham, Tuscaloosa, Tuscaloosa, Tuscaloosa. Alabama, and you watched the game yesterday, so tell us a little bit about the entire uh, experience down in Alabama. I know that this is an annual trip for you. 1,000 strong, and then 40 more thousand in the quad, so there was a total of 140,000 people around the university, around the game. It was absolutely amazing. It's really, it's a... Going to a, uh, a college football game at a big U.S. college program, and I've been to a couple of Ohio State games, it's really a I don't even know how to describe it. You literally in in, in uh, you have to they literally shut down the state for uh, for that day. I remember being in Columbus, Ohio, a couple of times, and people are driving in from all over Ohio and uh, and uh, and driving in at six, seven o'clock in the morning. It's an entire experience, and there's almost as many people watching the game out just outside the stadium, at, like in a mini city, but. Uh, Really a remarkable experience. But, Naz, uh, Alabama, I'm talking to your cohort here, uh, Lou, your fellow Alabama um, supporter. Uh, is there any way that Alabama can be stopped this year? The only way they're going to be stopped is if they beat themselves. They're that good. Defensively is where they're really strong. It was really noticeable yesterday. They that- are a one tough team. Really tough. Naz, was there any fear yesterday uh, after they took – after they scored the touchdown on last, the last uh, couple of plays in the second half and in the first uh, possession, they, they came down and took the lead. Um, was there any fear? No, well, you know what, Lou? They, they, they thought they were going to come right back and score. They had so much confidence in that crowd. It, it, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. <laughs> that, that running back, Harris, yeah. 
Yeah. It reminds me of Greg Pruitt. How much, um, how much did that penalty really mean for that offense once they uh, they stalled there at the early part of the third quarter? The one, the, the roughing the passer, where they more or less negated. Oh, that the... was a real turning point, Lou. That was a real turning point, and it was so unnecessary. I mean, it was four seconds after the fact he uh, he hit him with a head contact. That wasn't necessary at all. Anyways, uh, Naz, I want to uh, wrap up the Alabama discussion because there's very little I can <laughs> I get I get little him being uh, being a fighting Irish guy. I'm sort of uh, I'm trying to lie low this year. It's it hasn't been a good year for us. But you know you know it's funny, Wally. I was in the in the quad and I wore my leaf hat with my Alabama. And how many people recognized it? A lot it? of people took pictures of me because I had the leaf hat on. Yeah, leafs leafs are everywhere. Anyways, talk, are everywhere. talking about the we'll come back to the Leafs, Naz. But uh, and I, you know it's uh, I want to tell uh, listeners who we're going to have on the show in the middle uh, uh, shortly after our break. We have Leaf. Leo Routens, Leo Routens, of course, TSN basketball analyst, and uh, we will be talking about uh, a little bit about the Raptors' upcoming season because they're going to get going. Basketball is about to start, and uh, people are, are optimistic about the Raptors. Also, want to talk about Leo because he uh, Leo's been a friend of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, and he had a very very special thing happen this week. He was admitted to the Ontario Sports Hall of Fame, which is a, which is a really distinctive honor, and we really want to. Uh, chat with Leo about that and later on in the hour we're talking to uh, Sean Clement Sean of course uh, one of the world's great internet uh, one of the world's great golf teachers want to talk to him about the status of the golf industry but Naz the Jays we didn't uh, didn't end really all that well although we want to give them credit Um, fantastic uh, finish right at the end of the season did what they had to do in the final series against Boston. A remarkable, remarkable wild card game against the Orioles. A great series against the Texas Rangers. And just they were just flat against um, the Indians. What happened? It was a letdown. They couldn't hit. It was, uh, it was, uh, but uh, Cleveland got timely hits when they needed them. The pitching was pretty equal except for the Andrew Miller situation. But everything else was pretty even. Um, the hits were about the same, but Cleveland scored at the right opportune time. And they had trouble playing KC last year, and they were the similar teams. Interesting about Cleveland Indians. Um, you know, they seemed, I like to use the word outclass, but it never seemed like the Jays were ever in, you know, Lou, chime in. Uh, it never seemed like the Jays were ever in this series. They were completely off balance. Cleveland Indians won this series. I think they hit, I think the number was 168. Yeah, one sixty-seven. One sixty-seven, and it was the lowest hitting percentage of a of a of a team ever in the playoffs of a winning team. And I just found, how do you win a series handily and only hit one sixty-eight? What happened? Look. Well, well, the way I looked at it, it was that you got to give all the credit. I know the pitching staff did what they did, and and Francona did what he had to do. He more or less he knew what his horses were. But I got I got to look to the scouting people that that scouted the Blue Jays the last probably month of the year, and, and they went in there with a game plan, and the pitchers followed that game plan almost to a T. They couldn't have matched it any better with off-speed stuff outside the uh, the zone, and and really the Jays didn't have an answer for that because they were expecting everybody to come inside with hard stuff, and they only had the one guy that really threw hard, and that was Kluber, and, and he went outside, and then. Obviously, you look at the Andrew Miller factor, you look at the uh, the Shaw factor, and you look at the uh, the closer factor. 
it, it was just a, a situation where they followed their game plan uh, from their scouts to a T, and that's what actually uh, took care of the Jays. And we talked about it earlier in the show here, Naz, is the Jays were never going to win anything if they and if they didn't put the bat on the ball. And you look at the game last night with the Cubs and the Dodgers, you look at their big hitters, two, three, and four hitters, they were going opposite every single time up at bat. It was more or less they, they took what they what they got and they went the other way instead of going for the home run every single time like the Jays do. You know what was really surprising when you mentioned it? Uh, they went outside with the pitches. They were pitching the Jays inside all, all year long thinking that was their weakness, right, because they were getting too close to the plate. Then they start throwing outside, and the Jays couldn't hit anything. They changed the focus of the whole uh, series by doing that, right? And that's what uh, made it, cut them off balance. Yeah, you, you got to give uh, the manager credit for that. Yeah, I, I and uh, you know, I wanted to make the point, and we talked about this, Lou, in, in, before the show. Is I almost got whether it was Tony, Terry Francona or whether it was the Cleveland uh, scouting staff had scouted out the Jays. Um, and I think I, I, I saw Buck Martinez, and, you know, Buck's, uh, you know, one of, the, one, of the great, uh, one of the great baseball guys in terms of analysis and understands the game as well as anybody that I listen to on, on, uh, in the media. And he, he, it was just like they, the Jays were so off balance in their bats um, they were all when they were looking for breaking balls, the uh, the, the Indian staff were throwing fastballs, and when they were looking for fastballs, they were throwing breaking balls. And it's just like they're almost like they were reading the uh, the Blue Jays batters' minds because this Andrew Miller, you know, all six foot ninety uh, ninety inches of him, throwing from five feet to the side of the mound, um, he was getting the Jays out. Not with his fastballs. He was getting them out with the breaking balls. I mean, I was at the game, and every time I'd, he'd, he, I was at a couple of games, and every time he'd, uh, he'd strike a J out, I'd look up at the clock, and I'd say, how much, 83 miles an hour? i go, you're kidding me. They couldn't get their bat on, the, on that ball? And uh, just the, the Jays never knew what was coming. Um, and they were head of pitches they you know they were swinging at what they thought were fastballs and then they'd come in at 82 miles an hour and it's almost like they were reading like they they just they were one step ahead of the jays well andrew miller was more like Chicago, a tough time too you know that because they got salazar back also That's yeah a well good series again as the jays were looking for fastballs i remember last year watching the kansas city game uh, the Kansas City series, and they were saying, well, we're, we're going to come inside no matter what, and we're going to back you guys off. Well, this year, they didn't have the pitchers. They didn't have Salazar, and, and they didn't have uh, the other kid that... Uh, Carrasco. Yeah, Carrasco, who was, you know, they're, they're throwing peas up there. But now you got to look at, with, with Andrew Miller, obviously he's an ex-Yankee, and you got to think that, uh, you know, that was a great deal for Cleveland, even though they gave up almost their whole farm. <laughs> you know, that... That 85-mile-an-hour yeah, slider that he's got that goes under the hands of left uh, right-handed batters, that's nasty. And, and you really, if you don't... Uh, but go ahead, Luz, to finish your point. No, if, if you can't get that ball, they're going to be swinging it all night because I know the way the slider comes in. You think it's at about six inches high, and all of a sudden it's going to drop right down, right down to the ground. And they were swinging over it all night. Naz, I want you to respond to this point, and it goes to the point of maybe one of the reasons the Jays... 
uh, lost the series and couldn't couldn't get to the Cleveland pitchers and what they have to do in the offseason. And I saw the analysis, and we talked about this so many times this year that, you know, um, that what the Jays, the Jays were, um, the skill set of the Jays is they're, they're swingers. They're long ball guys. Yep. And what they're, uh, what they're missing is contact hitters. And then when, when, when you got, when you got uh, pitchers and managers who are playing head games with your batters between, you know, throwing 82-mile-an-hour, 85-mile-an-hour sliders or curveballs or 98-mile-an-hour fastballs, and you're the batter and you don't know what you're, what's coming, if you've got to rely upon the guys who swing, it's, it's feast or famine. But the contact hitters, the contact hitters have a way of getting their bat on the ball when the pitches are nasty. Uh, your analysis, Ness? My analysis is this: the Eastern Division, the Eastern Division of the, Amer- of the major American League, they're all sluggers in that division. The Yankees don't play that way. The Jays don't play that way. The Orioles don't play that way. The Red Sox don't play that way. And Tampa Bay, even though they had a poor record, don't play that way either. So what do you do? Do you change the focus of the team to have a contacting team, or do you continue to try to score runs? I don't know what the answer is to that, Wally. I really don't. Well, well, the last two years in a row, they lost to they lost to two to me very similar teams, which is Kansas City and Cleveland. They almost lost to both of those teams in the same way. I mean, they hit. What, I think they hit. They hit KC a little bit better than they hit Cleveland, but. What I'm saying is they should they better not change the whole makeup of that team because they could fall right down by doing that, right? You got to be very careful in the off season who you get and who you don't get. Well, Naz, you got to get to that point first, right? You got to get to the playoffs first. The way the way you, you beat him is you bring in Shapiro, who built the, the Cleveland Indians. Shapiro, yeah. sorry, Shapiro, <laughs> who who built the Cleveland Indians. You get rid of some of your some of your your right-handed bats. You bring in some left-handed bats. You, you more or less you get a more balanced uh, lineup like like Cleveland, like Kansas City, like teams like that. I remember in the late seventies when the World Weavers teams were all built around a three-run homer, and they never won. And it, it's just a you know I don't know when these guys are going to get it. And if you're going to more or less live and die by the sword, then you got to accept your failure too as much as your as your rewards. But this this team, if they want to move ahead, they've got to. Well, obviously they're going to lose Edwin. They're going to lose Jose. Uh, they they might lose Mike Saunders, but but they have to get more depth around these guys and guys that are going to make contact. Uh, you look at a Joey Votto that's out there. They were talking about getting a Jay Bruce, and they need a couple left-handed bats to offset their their right-handed power. Well, they got a few holes then. The way you just uh, you just read off a pretty no, good laundry list. Four for sure. Yeah. They're not going to decide Edwin and uh, Jose's a long gone, but. Not going to sign Encarnacion. They're they're in that situation. They're going to have to make some changes, and they just got to be careful that they're the right changes. And how much does the batting coach have to do with this? Also, you know, for the Jays, I'm not sure he uh, he, he was happy with the season either because they really didn't get uh, untracked all year. If you look at their hitting, it was their pitching that kept them in there. If they didn't have their pitching, they would have been where Tampa Bay was. You know. Yeah, their their hitting was, you know, when you think about how we analyzed the Jays at the beginning of the year, uh, we thought the pitching was going to be the, uh, we thought that we thought their weakness was going to be their their starting pitching, which ended up being the strength of the team, and we thought the um, we thought that the batting would uh, that they were going to hit the lights out like they did the year before, and uh, 
They didn't. Their average was 12th in the league. Their slugging percentage was, I think, 7th or 8th when everybody just – when we all assumed they were going to have the best slugging percentage in the league at the beginning of the year, and they, they came in 7th or 8th, and they were in the middle of the pack in batting average. So, you know, it was their, it was their batting that let them down. I think you hit the nail on the head, Naz, that they were inconsistent yeah. uh, throughout the year. They had, they, hot, they had hot streaks, but when they went in the tank with their batting – and that, and that's, I guess, that's what happens when you have a a, a power team like you say. Um, it's feast or famine with those teams. You beat you beat the other teams up when your bats are hot, but when your bats are uh, when your bats are not are not hot, and a couple of guys go silent, uh, you know they're not getting the bat on the ball. You know they're swinging they're swinging it or they're looking at it or whatever. So uh, we certainly. Uh, a little chat here about where we, uh, and we'll, we'll continue to pursue the discussion, Naz. Naz, we're going to have to let you go. We've got to go okay. to break. Uh, thanks for... Uh, Just one thing. Go ahead. Let's talk about the least. One question. Why is Zach Hyman playing on the top line with, uh, with uh, Matthew still? I'll give that one to you, Lou. Uh, you know what? I, I think the first 15 to 20 games, uh, uh, Babcock is going to try to find who goes with who. Uh, again, this is an all-in experiment. they got a lot of young kids on this team. Uh, this could be a good uh, uh, a good thing that they're losing games. Not a good thing because it's never a good thing to lose. But it's not they're they're not getting blown out. They're they're going into the third period with a lead. I think there's, the kids are still young. They don't know what it takes to hold a lead at this level just yet. And they've played good teams, especially on the road. Uh, so it's just a matter of you know if this all these situations that they're losing these games. If it gets them a little bit of thick skin, it's going to help them a little bit, not necessarily down the road this year, but somewhere down the road and a couple of years down the road, a couple of years from now. Uh, because for them, again, they've got six rookies in the lineup, and they've never been put in this situation before. So it seems like everybody's just making one key mistake at the wrong time of the day uh, for the teams to come back and tie them. Now, the reason why I asked the question is because Matthews has eight, eight points and Nylander has seven and Hyman has one. And I, I see him as a fourth-line player. That, that I see a change there. Who would you put in that spot, Nats? Who would you put in that spot? Well, I would put Komarov in that spot because he can, he can, he's not a prolific point-getter, but he chips in and he's a def- very good defensive player and he'll create room for the other two boys on that line. I don't think he's creative enough to play with those two guys. Well, they, they really don't have one. And do well, they might have to put, put uh, Van Riemsdyk there then. Van Riemsdyk or Marner there, right? Well, well I'd go Van Riemsdyk before I go Marner. <laughs> Certainly a topic for discussion. Naz, we're Interesting have... team, though. They have talent, though. <laughs> they sure do. And we'll, it's fun uh, watching them. Well, certainly, uh, it certainly is fun watching them. Naz, we're going to have to let you go. Okay, thanks. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for calling in. And uh, my buddy, uh, travel safely, my friend. Okay, see you guys. We'll see you soon. Uh, you're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We'll be right back after the break with Leo Routens. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville brought back the large five-topping pizza special for just $13.99 for a limited time. I'm whispering because the last time Pizzaville brought back this special, there was pandemonium in the streets, pushing, shoving, biting. So order now and order often, and hopefully you won't have any bite marks when this is over. Call Pizzaville for the large five-topping pizza special at pound 3636 from your cell phone. Shh. There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. 
The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. Steel's Paint in Woodbridge, an enormous 20,000-square-foot superstore that carries nothing but the best. Superior staff, superior advice, superior selection, superior everything. When you have a really tough job to do, they can knock it down to size. They'll show you how to get it done right, and because they only sell the best of everything, you'll get it done to last. That means superior satisfaction. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge, the best. At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too, but the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics, on time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Bond. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. You name it, they'll argue about it. No sport left unturned. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning. Welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto on the new AM740. And once again, if you're listening in downtown Toronto and you want a crystal clear signal, you can also tune us in on 96.7 FM. Pleased to welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour this morning, Leo Routens. Uh, Leo, of course, uh, a noted basketball analyst. Leo, how are you this morning? I'm great, Wally. How are you this morning? We're doing fantastic. And Leo, congratulations are in order. Uh, uh, we had uh, briefly uh, texted each other, but uh, it, was a, it was an important week for you and your family this week. Uh, you were admitted to the Ontario Sports Hall of Fame, which uh, it's a significant accomplishment. And, uh, and it's in recognition of a remarkable career that uh, that you've had in basketball in Canada and just uh, want to go over a few of the highlights with you and with our listeners but uh, Leo um, you know time has passed by but it's uh, I remember uh, certainly from the 70s and early 80s that you were a uh, a trailblazer in basketball in Canada you uh, you 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 went down a path that nobody had gone down before and uh, Certainly, you had some remarkable accomplishments, and it's just, it's it's uh, important that we uh, that we uh, compliment you on those and recognize them. But in the 1970s, uh, you were one of the first Canadians that became a star at a major college U.S. program at Syracuse. You were the youngest player ever to have played on Canada's national basketball team, and uh, you made uh, a significant contribution to that team. Played for so many years. And, and gave uh, gave your support to our program. You ended up being the coach of the Canada's national basketball team, and you were the first Canadian 
ever drafted in the NBA draft, and that's something nobody can ever take away with you. First of all, Leo, uh, on behalf of myself and Lou Franceschetti, who's with me in studio, congratulations, sincerely, on what we consider a significant accomplishment. And uh, please tell us, uh, tell us about your evening the other night and uh, what it meant to you. Oh, I appreciate it. Uh, a lot of kind words. Uh, yeah. It was kind of funny. I, uh, uh, the Ontario Sports uh, Hall of Fame dinner, which was tremendous, a uh, great night at the Sheridan. Uh, got to see a lot of uh, tremendous uh, people there, fellow inductees like Ron Ellis. I grew up a Leafs fan, so uh, having a guy like Ron Ellis right now, on the heels of the Dave Keon coming into the uh, Air Canada Centre a few nights before that. Uh, Eric Lindros was there. Uh, just a just a tremendous group of people that were inducted, so it was very humbling. But uh, I also tell people that, and, and I kind of say it's tongue in cheek, but uh, you know, you know, when you get inducted to the Hall of Fame, it tells you one thing: Wally, you're getting old. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good you thing, know, Leo. <laughs> you get there's no spring chickens up there. No. You know what I'm saying when you're. Uh, uh, but uh, it, it, it's it's nice to be acknowledged, and uh, uh, it's uh, like I said, just a great evening. I I really do want to talk about because there's so many people that in our listening audience, in, anyways, that uh, do remember you um, from your days in um, uh, playing local basketball in Toronto, and I, w- I want to talk a little bit about that because uh, where I was uh, when 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 Franceschetti here asked me earlier who's going to be on the show today, I said Leo Routens. We're going to talk about his induction. He says, Oh yeah, I remember. Leo was a legend. At St. Mike's, and you, and you certainly were, but uh, I want to go back a little bit even before St. Mike's. What area of Toronto did you grow up, Leo, and uh, when did you first acquire the passion for basketball? Well, I, I grew up in the west side, uh, High Park area, Keelum, Glenlake, uh, uh, and it, it's kind of funny because there's a park right across the street from my house called, it's now, it, it's been named Park Lithuania many years ago, uh, and the fact that it's Park Lithuania is kind of coincidental because uh, being Lithuanian uh, was really why I started playing basketball. You know, all the the Lithuanian national sport is basketball, and all the Lithuanian kids in Toronto, and there's a very large community, uh, all played basketball. So even though I was still playing hockey like everybody else from the time I was eight years old, uh, everybody would go down to the old church at a resurrection on the west side, and uh, and everybody was playing ball. And you had a pretty good exposure. you know, you had priests that had a, an American background, understood the game of basketball. You had, uh, we had, we had tournaments every year um, all across the United States. So we played against actually Division One players, uh, which I was exposed to at a very early age. So, um, you know, I, 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 that, was a, that was a big part, uh, obviously, of my beginning. Uh, Leo, I, uh, I played junior hockey in the falls, and I'm not sure if uh, you and Jay Triano are of the same age. I used to follow Jay when, when I was there. Um, did you ever go head-to-head with Jay? And what made you choose Syracuse? And if you were recruited by any uh, bigger schools back then, because uh, you're looking at the Carolinas, the Dukes, you're looking at UCLA, the Kentuckys. And Minnesota. Well, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's actually funny. Jay Triano uh, and I used to do battle. We were contemporaries. Uh, you know, he went to A.N. Meyer in Niagara Falls. and uh, Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously I was at St. Mike's, and uh, so we had been, done battle many times. And, you know, I made the national team a year before Jay did. And uh, uh, it's actually a funny story because Jay was a great shooter. And uh, he was having uh, he was having uh, just a, a not a good camp shooting the basketball. And I remember we had a conversation, and I said to him, uh, 
uh, Jay, you know, what do you do better than anybody else? Shoot. So, you know what, stop worrying about everything. Just shoot the basketball on the very last morning of the third day of trials. Uh, he didn't miss a shot. Uh, and next thing you know, um, next thing you know, he, he uh, 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 made the national team. So it was great to see. And uh, so Jay and I go back a, a very long way, played many years together. But when I came out of high school, I, was, had, I actually had over 100 scholarship offers. And, uh, you know, pretty much every big school uh, was in that mix. Uh, I initially went to University of Minnesota, uh, played there one year with some great players like Kevin McHale, excuse me, Trent Tucker. Uh, uh, we actually had the best freshman class in the country uh, my first year. And, uh, but uh, there was some academic things there. I you know, uh, really was kind of downplayed. So uh, I went through that entire recruiting process again and uh, ultimately ended up at Syracuse. And, you know, when I signed with Syracuse, I had no idea there was going to be a Carrier Dome or a big East and all that unfolded within a year after I signed. So, uh, what a, what a tremendous blessing after the fact. Uh, talking to Leo Routens, Leo, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we, we talk often with NHL hall of famers on the show. And one of the questions I always like to ask some of the NHLers is when did you first realize that, uh, you might have a potential going pro, uh, when did you first realize, uh, and, and, and don't be unabashedly, uh, um, uh, you don't have to be, uh, uh, it's not a boastful question, Leo, but when did you first realize you were really, really good at basketball? And when did you first get the dream to um, think that you could play in the NBA? You're going to think this is crazy. Uh, I was telling people, from the time I was, you know, 10, 11 years old, I was going to play in the NBA. Uh, you know, my big brother, George, went to St. Mike's, was one of the first people out of Toronto, uh, Canada, to really get a scholarship in the States, played in Niagara. He was drafted by the Buffalo Braves, played for Canada. And my whole goal in life was to be better than him. <laughs> so, you know, uh, George went to, uh, you know, went to St. Mike's. I was going to be the best player at St. Mike's. Uh, George got a, a, a few scholarships. I was going to get 100. Uh, George played for Canada. I was going to be the best player in Canada. George got drafted in the NBA. I was going to be a first-round pick. And quite honestly, that's the way I thought. Uh, I, everything my brother did, I just wanted to destroy and do better. <laughs> and uh, that was my single biggest motivating factor. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, I don't know, probably around, uh, you know, ninth, ninth, tenth grade, I, I really, uh, you know, was convinced that I was going to be able to do that. And then, um, you know, when I made the national team, you know, 16 years old. So when you're 16, 17, you're very impressionable, obviously. And uh, I remember Jack Donahue, uh, there were a few things that happened uh, in my first tour with the Canadian team, my first tryouts. And uh, Jack Donahue pulled me aside one day and he asked me, he goes, do you want to be an NBA player? And I said, yes. He goes, you're going to be. And, uh, you know, to hear that from Jack Donahue, who uh, he was one of the one of the great basketball people, uh, and at that time, you know, not only in Canada but in the U.S., you know, he knew he knew the game as well, respected. So, in my mind, if Jack Donahue said this is something I'm going to be, I I it was, everything I wanted uh, to believe was validated. So that was a big day uh, as far as the confidence and, and my belief. We're talking Leo Routens. Leo, before we uh, before we let you go this morning, there's uh, obviously uh, excitement building because the 
The NBA basketball season is about to start, and uh, hope springs eternal, and the Raptors are coming off uh, their best season in their history. And uh, is there a reason for continued optimism, Leo? Oh, absolutely. I mean, obviously uh, the team is uh, a little banged up right now, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I think this team is a top three team in the East. Um, you know, over the last three years, the Raptors have more more wins than, uh, than anybody else in the Eastern Conference. So uh, this is a team that's developed consistency, continuity, and I really do believe that, uh, you know, they're going to be a top three team. Now, does that mean that they're going to, you know, go to the Eastern Conference Finals and, and finish where they did last year? I don't know. Uh, that, that's going to be uh, – that's going to be a tough challenge. And, and, you know, I think last year everything was accelerated by a year in their overall planning. So uh, whether they get that far or not, uh, and they have a, and they very well have a chance to do that again. Uh, but this is a team that uh, is going to be, just like last year, fun to watch. Uh, it's going to create a big buzz in this city and is capable of doing a lot of great things. So I'm excited about this year. I think it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And, but just like – most teams are saying the same thing. Well, it's uh, you know, you're always an ankle sprain away from disaster, and uh, you know you gotta you gotta hope that uh, your studs like Lowry and Rosen and Valanciunas and uh, Carroll and so forth that everybody stays healthy and uh, gets through the gets through the season unscathed. Who's your major uh, uh, competitor this year uh, aside from Cleveland? Is is Boston going to give you the, the toughest match? Well, you know, a lot of people are talking about Boston. Uh, you know, hey, they're a good team. I'm not. Uh, I'm not saying they're not, but uh, they don't concern me as much as I tell you what. Indiana Pacers last year, the Raptors barely got by the Pacers in the first round, and to me, the Pacers are vastly improved. They picked up, you know, they picked up Thaddeus Young from Brooklyn, Jeff Teague from the Atlanta Hawks, Al Jefferson from Charlotte, Kevin Serafin. I mean, they've they've done. Uh, they're bigger, stronger, quicker, faster, and Paul George who. Uh, last year kind of took, you know, after his devastating injury, kind of came into his own by the end of the year. He's ready to go. So um, this, to me, is the most dangerous team in the Eastern Conference outside of the Cleveland Cavaliers. We're talking to Leo Routens. Leo, one last question on, on the Raptors, uh, and then we'll let you go. Um, any uh, new young talent that uh, we're going to see fulfilling any new roles on, on the Raptors this year? Is the, is the rookie Yak- Jakob, I can't even pronounce his last name, Perhaps you can help me out. I can spell it, P-O-E-T-L. Perhaps you can pronounce it for me. Uh, any new players, any new rookies that will be? Uh, we should keep our eye out for, Leo? Well, certainly uh, Jakob Pertle. Pertle, okay. pronounces his name. Yeah, Jakob Pertle. And, and, you know, he's got a chance to uh, make a difference because, uh, you know, he's a very fast learner. He's got a very high IQ. Um, you know, he's not going to woe you with his athleticism, but he, but he just figures out how to play, and he does a great job. And I think that if he could spell Balanchunas and offer the rapper some minutes uh, at that center position, uh, that could go a long way for this team. And I think what you'll see is as the year goes along, uh, you're going to see a bigger impact from him. Uh, and then Pascal Siakam, uh, the other rookie, uh, this this kid can play. Uh He's kind of, you know, I hate using these kind of terms, but he's kind of poor. He's kind of like a poor man's Bismack Biombo. Uh He's got a great motor. He's got great energy. He keeps going and going and going. And unlike Biombo, uh, you know, coming into the NBA, he's got far more uh, offensive uh, versatility and uh, and abilities than uh, than Biombo had. So, you know, his, the potential for him is tremendous. I know the coaching staff is really excited about him, and and he's a player. Don't be surprised if he ends up. 
uh, if his development goes at the pace a lot of people anticipate, don't be surprised if he becomes a main a main cog in that front line uh, during the course of the season. We've been talking to Leo Routens. Leo, once again, uh, we're going to let you go, but once again, our sincere uh, congratulations on your uh, induction into the Ontario Sports Hall of Fame. Uh, certainly uh, a, a, hu- a, a great recognition for a great trailblazing career in Canadian basketball. Leo, thanks so much again for joining us this morning. Well, thanks, guys, and again, appreciate the kind words, and just validates what me and me and all the other old guys say: the older we get, the better we were. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks again, Leo. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks again. Thanks. You too. Our pleasure. Thanks. That, of course, was uh, Leo Routens. Lou, we're constantly being reminded that we're getting old. <laughs> you know, I, I, we were all there what, 20, 30 years ago. I just oh, remember geez. like it's almost like yesterday. I retired in 92. And I keep telling myself, where did the last 25, 26 Where'd years go? go? And I'm looking at my kids now, and my daughter is expecting our, our first child. Uh, That's her right. First You're going to be a grandfather. Congratulations. Yeah, uh, for the first time. So, And my other one's down in Miami, Ohio, getting his master's. So I really don't know where the time has gone. Uh, I guess it's our time to more or less sit oh. back and kind of enjoy life, just like our parents did. Well, well I don't well, think they enjoyed life they like we hard, are. But, yeah, yeah they did, definitely did work hard and <laughs> yeah. uh, put a roof over our head and food on the table. But... Uh, I'm just kind of sitting back here and, and watching everything and kind of enjoying it. How old are you? Fifty-eight. Uh, <laughs> well, the good news for you, uh, Lou, is you're younger than I am. God oh, bless. Thank you. you. Anyways, time to go to break. <laughs> we'll be right back after the break with Sean Clement. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville asked, "Do you want to meet the hot Hawaiian of your dreams?" This hot Hawaiian is slathered in bacon, red onion, spicy sausage, pineapple and hot banana peppers. A medium thin crust is just $12.99. One bite and you'll say, Liu, wow! You might even get a lay on the beach. Call Pizzaville at pound 3636 on your cell phone. At 20,000 square feet, Steel's Paint and Woodbridge is Canada's largest independent paint store. Big deal, right? Big deal? Yes. The best brands, the best staff, the best advice, the best of everything. From color matching to brand selection, whether you're a pro or a DIYer, we'll look after you from the minute you walk in to the minute you walk in a second time as a completely satisfied customer. Big store, big deal, bigger satisfaction. Simple. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too, but the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics, on time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. There's an old saying, 
Entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. The only thing I love more than sports is sports radio. Take it away, boys. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto on the new AM740. Uh, I'm your host, Walter Rigobon, in studio with me this morning, former Toronto Maple Leaf Lou Franceschetti. And uh, Lou, you rubbed it into me a little bit during the break that I'm actually uh, older than you, but... Uh, uh, we're at Zoomer Radio, so I guess that gives me a little bit of a gold star around here. Well, you know what? I never would have thought it because we always talk about our ball hockey days, and yeah. uh, definitely you survived my era, <laughs> knowing that if you had played against me. <laughs> I, I, I think we probably lined up against I, – I think I remember playing against you once, but you were – I will give you credit. You were a much better ball hockey player than I was. And, oh, uh, you played on some pretty good teams, as I did. But uh, moving on, we've got on the line with us this morning one of the world's great golf teachers returning to the uh, Nazawali Sports Hour. Of course, he's been with us since we started on the air, providing us with all kinds of insights into golf and golf instruction and uh, golf uh, tournaments and all things golf. That, of course, is Sean Clement. Good morning, Sean. Morning, guys. Good morning, Lou. Morning, Sean. How are you? Awesome. Sean, you're down in uh, you're down in Dallas, Texas, this morning. Tell us tell us what's going on down in Dallas. We're we're getting ready to go play the Reserve. Uh, nice uh, nice private club down on the south end of town. I'm looking forward to it. Apparently, it's. Uh, it's always nice and windy down there, so I'm 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 getting ready to uh, to get my low punch draws out. And I'm sure you're probably uh, down there uh, teaching a whole bunch of Texans uh, how to improve their golf games. If uh, would be my guess. But Sean, uh, last time we chatted, uh, when we left off, uh, the, we left off. We promised we would get in touch with each other to talk about a certain topic. And uh, when we left off, it was at that point it was the demise of Nike in the yeah. golf equipment business. And you, I remember you, we were looking across the table. We had a nice chat about it off the air after that. And uh, what does the demise of Nike from the golf equipment industry say about the status of golf today? Um, I think this, it's just a, a small reset. I mean, golf isn't going anywhere, that's for sure. But, you know, uh, they uh, they say they want to focus on what they do best, which is apparel, and and I have to agree with them. Um, I've I've been wearing Nike stuff now for about four years, and uh, I, I think it's the best stuff out there. It's it's uh, you know I, I'm still wearing pants I had three years ago, and I wear them, you know, day in and day out, twelve months a year. So, uh, but on the equipment side, I've I have to tell you, I've I've seen a lot of head scratching stuff. And, uh, you know, from uh, I just got a, a delivery on a putter last year that I think is the best putter out there. And then they go and make that announcement that they're leaving the golf business. Um, I've always thought that their wedge, the wedge side of things was very weak. And, um, you know, whereas I would have just copied what Bob Bokey's doing. And that's the beauty about Nike. I mean, we're, 
You know, there's an, there's an army of people out there that just are in love with the product and what it represents and everything else. And, and I know that all you have to do is really, really produce something that's, that's quality and you, you will sell it. Um, and, you know, and they've, they've had, I, I don't know if it's the same in the U.S., but I know we've had a lot of shipping issues uh, in the last couple of years where they, they've had a lot of trouble bringing the product to market. So there, there has been some, some headaches uh, in, in, the, in, the, in that side of the business. And um, uh, although it was a massive surprise for everybody, I mean, I'm still scratching my head about it. I'd, sure. I'd love to be a fly on the wall. In uh, in some of those meetings that uh, have transpired, Sean, I want I just pursue the discussion on the golf equipment business because yeah. um, this has been um, uh, tailor made. I mean, I've been reading on some social media websites. This isn't the best time for tailor made either right now. And it, and and what I think a lot of customers and correct me if I'm wrong, Sean, and I want your opinion on this. Um, mm. The whole concept of you know, coming out with a new model every year and a new and improved driver that's $500 uh, yeah. and then trying to make that distinctive in the marketplace uh, has led, I think, to a lot of troubles in the golf equipment industry. Uh, Absolutely. In the sense doubt. that, yeah. you know, after a while, after a while, who wants to keep on, you, you can only fall victim to uh, fabulous marketing for so long. Right, and at the end of the day, if I spend five hundred dollars on a driver, I'm not so sure I want to spend five hundred dollars on a driver again for a long, long time. If I ever, <laughs> if I ever wanted to spend five hundred dollars on a driver, and yeah. it's just like that era has come to an end. Uh, yeah. Am I getting this right? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's not right. I mean, you know, um, you know, cars. It, I just compare it to cars. Uh, they'll come out with a car model and, it, and it, it's on the market for five years and you know they'll have a, a beginning phase where they, they, there's a, there's some some stuff to iron out and then they'll have a nice three solid years and and then the last couple of years they're going to be adding some spoilers and some some you know visual effects and some certain packages and uh, and then after that out comes the new model but you know after you buy a car uh, people, you're going to see that model out there for at least five years, and you can rest easy. And and that to me is where they should have organized that business model around. I think around that, because that's what I think. You know, somebody's going to buy a, a good quality set of clubs or a good quality driver. He wants to know that he's got the best product out there for the next five years, and he doesn't want to have the seed of doubt planted in his head. You know, or her. Yeah. Sean, and I know that you you teach golfers of all different uh, ages, sizes, capabilities. Um, you are familiar with uh, the swing and the results more than anybody I know or anybody that I've read about. Um, how much difference? First of all, clubs today are, my guess is, are remarkably better than clubs from 25, 30 years ago. Certain ones, certain ones, and you yeah. and I'll I'll let you expound upon that point. But how much difference can a set of clubs make in the game of, let's say, a fifteen or a twenty handicapper? Um, it to me, it's the fun factor. I mean, uh, it there, you know, every product out there, every company is going to say they have the best product. But 
if this and this is the best way to buy uh, let's say a set of irons or a set of woods is you go to your local retailer and you you try uh, a six or a seven iron from each one of the models and you'll notice you look down at the club and you say wow that looks different and then you hit a shot and you say wow that sounds different that feels different and and all you got to do is put some some tape on the face of the club to see where you're hitting the ball as you're releasing you know your shot you pick a target in the screen there and you swing into the screen and you'll notice that there's going to be a couple of models that you will gravitate towards much more than others and you don't have to be like you you can, you can almost be a beginner to really tell the difference we're we're awesome at this so there are not, there are certain models out there that that will perform better for you. Uh, now, as far as my clubs are concerned, I'm still playing with the same set of clubs I did 30 years ago. I'm still staying, playing with the same ca- uh, uh, muscle back blade. So I just want something. You know, I I like to have a well, club that's built for me to to build my game. Let me ask you, Sean. Right on that point, I don't want to let it go. Uh, yeah. Um, you're playing with clubs from 30 years ago, and I'm sure you hit balls with all kinds of different clubs. And yeah. and uh, so the new stuff isn't doing anything better. And I know, just so our listeners know, Sean Clement's a scratch golfer, both right-handed and left-handed. That's how good of an athlete he is. Um, but uh, you obviously don't feel that investing in a new set of clubs is going to do anything, <laughs> it's going to improve your game. Well, not not in, not when it comes to the muscle back clubs, and and at one point there is another factor. I mean, if you play golf on a regular basis, uh, the shafts need to be refreshed every so often because, like a paper clip, when you bend the paper clip back and forth, at one point it gets brittle and it snaps. And you'll notice that the life in a golf shaft, when it comes to steel shafts and irons, uh, at one point, you know, as they load, you know, a golf shaft is is something that's very pliable. Uh, much more than people think. It's a very dynamic piece of equipment. It's like a ski. You ever see a ski in slow motion when they're coming around, uh, you know, a, a tight turn in a slalom course, you'll see that ski really warp and bend. It's the same thing with a golf shaft. So after about four or five years, the shafts start getting tired, and, the, and then they lose, they lose kick. They lose spring. So if you're going to replace the shafts, you might as well replace the whole set of clubs. We've been talking to Sean Clement. Sean, we're going to have to let you go. Uh, thanks so much for calling in from uh, from Dallas, Texas this morning. And I just want to remind our listeners, uh, if you have a passion for golf, if you want to improve your golf game, if you uh, uh, want to really get into the golf game and uh, pursue your passion, check out Sean Clement. Sean Clement, you can find him on the Internet at www.wisdomandgolf.com. And some fabulous, fabulous high-definition material on YouTube. I check it out every now and then when I want to improve certain facets facets of my game. Sean Clement on YouTube. And live and in person at the Richmond Hill Golf Learning Center in Richmond Hill. Sean? Thank you, Walter. really appreciate that. And, yes, you can believe in us like I believe in you, Walter. Thank you so much. And, once again, uh, safe travels. All the best. We'll catch up soon. Thanks so much, Sean Clement. Lou, we got a couple of minutes left, and uh, we can't let the last three minutes go by without talking about the Leafs. Uh, your assessment of what you've seen so far? I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, we're, we're seeing the reincarnation of Team North America here. Uh, obviously, they do have uh, some faults uh, back on the uh, blue line, and we'll see if Frederick Anderson is the real deal back there. 
Uh, but the, the young kids are, are really coming to uh, fruition. They, I know it's only five games into the season, but they're playing hard. They're having fun. They're, uh, they're very, very offensively created. It's just going to be that uh, how much more is Mike Babcock going to take losing after going into the third period with the lead and before they start changing a little bit of the things up front, maybe getting a little bit more size and uh, uh, addressing uh, some more needs on defensive blue line. So far, what I've been able to uh, analyze from the Leafs, um, it was it was an up-and-down week for them this week. I mean, um, they played well. They got, out, they got out of the gate quick. They had leads. Um, they're exciting. Um, they were on the road, to be fair, um, against some pretty tough teams. Winnipeg's a good team. Minnesota's tough to play in Minnesota, and of course Chicago, Chicago. Uh, but they had, they had essentially, they had all, they they were in position in all three of those games to win in very good positions, and they coughed it up a little bit in the third period. So I see that as a positive, no question, uh, and. It's a negative because, obviously, you know, to be successful in the NHL, you have to be able to carry small leads, and your goaltender's got to stand on his head. Um, uh, what do the Leafs have to do uh, to mature this team, to continue to play like they do perhaps in the first two periods and shut the door in the third period? Well, the main thing in here here is that they've had leads into the third period. You look at the end of the season, most of your better teams are all going to lose maybe one or two games with the lead going into the third period. Right now, uh, it's a very, very learning curve for, for all the young kids. If they start making these same mistakes 20 years, uh, 20 years, 20 games into the season, 30 and 40 games into the season, uh, then Mike Babcock's going to know that he's going to have to change the personnel. Right now, uh, I think he's going to have to grin and bear it. Uh, the situation that they're having, uh, practice is probably the best thing for these guys. Because remember, these guys are all offensive stars where they came from. Now they're they're going into a system that uh, you look what Mike Babcock said during the World Cup. His system works with better players. Now he's just going to have to convert these players that he has into the players that that he had on the World Cup team. Uh, is it easy easier said than done? Yeah, it probably is. But we just have to bide time, bite our tongue, and see where this team is 15 games into the season, 20 games into the season, as the season prolongs, see if they're making the same mistakes then uh, as they're making now. And then you can pretty much tell uh, where this team is going to go. What's your assessment of Frederick Anderson? I mean, I know it's early, and, you know, it's, I, to a certain extent it's, un, it's unfair. Uh, but uh, Don Cherry criticized him last night, and... Uh, your feelings on in, in, in 15 seconds or less? I really think right now that uh, he's getting a feel of where his defensemen are. He's overplayed a couple of the goals. Uh, you look at the, I think, two of the Lanny goals, he almost had a wide open net, uh, not knowing that you know he's, he's over there. Um, different systems in Anaheim, different system here in Toronto. You know, he was great in Anaheim. I think it's going to take time, just like the, the young forwards are, to, to come into his own and uh, they're the ones that gave them five years of $25 million. They hope, I hope that they, they know what they're doing. Hope they get a return on their investment. Anyways, uh, it's uh, time to sign off. Lou, Lou Franceschetti, once again, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us this morning. It's always a pleasure. And to Naz, if you're out there, we'll get you back next week and uh, travel safely, my friend. And to all our listeners, have a fantastic week. We'll be back again next Sunday morning at 9. 
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.